Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rumors, Money, and Movies. I'm your host, James Bastone. We haven't had an episode in a couple of weeks. This will be a short episode. I'm trying to experiment with the show a little bit, see what works, see what doesn't work. So this show's going to be a little shorter than usual, and there's a lot to get to. I'm actually going to talk about the box office. Money is back. I'm also going to do a couple of uh, Bastone blurb reviews. Start, actually... By having a tribute to someone who just passed away about fifteen, uh, about 25 minutes before I'm recording this episode. So first off, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at RMM underscore 901. Again, that is RMM underscore 901. That's our Twitter account. Now, the second thing I would like to say is coming up next month in July and this later this month in June, we're going to have a classic movie. This episode doesn't have a classic movie. But we will have a classic movie later on this month. I can guarantee that. Locked in already. Guest is in. Movie's locked in. Though I don't want to confirm the movie and the guest until I know exactly when they're coming on. Also, the month after that, I have another guest locked in. And then on top of that, I also have an interview basically locked in as well. That's all in July. So I'm really excited for those episodes coming up. Now, just to begin, I just want to say that Ned Beatty, who you may know, from films such as Toy Story 3, Network, Superman, the original Superman with Gene Hackman, Christopher Reeve, etc., etc. Rudy, the Notre Dame movie with the football guy. He acts as the father. Rango, Shooter. And his first film that really propelled him into the public eye was Deliverance, where he starred alongside John Voight, Burt Reynolds, Squeal Like a Pig. He does that. Also in the network, you might remember, that's the movie where uh, you have, I want you to go outside the back door and scream, I'm mad as hell. Uh, But he also, uh, that's not his part, but he's the part where there is no the United States. There is no democracy. There's corporations. Uh, I was going to feature that on the podcast, but I don't want to get political. And you know me. People know me. We don't get down that alley, that rabbit hole. But I can also guarantee that the network, the movie that he's in, is definitely going to be featured uh, as a classic movie. But Ned Beatty, unfortunately, uh, passed away at the age of 83 years old, uh, June 13th, 2021. Super familiar with all of his work. Though, I will say that I think he is kind of funny in Superman. But I'll definitely, Network is going to be featured for us. But I just wanted to say that because he is an Oscar-nominated Oscar actor. He did get a nomination for the Network. He also got nominated for an Emmy in Friendly Fire and Last Train Home. He's a big-time actor, let's put it like that. Uh, again, rest in peace, Ned Beatty, a legend. A legend, for sure. Again, we're losing a lot of people, but look, everyone's getting older, right? Can't live forever. No one lives forever. Now, I'm going to have a couple of Bastone blurbs, and then I'm going to talk about the box office, which I've been really uh, uh, looking forward to discussing. Uh, I'll get to the box office discussion in about maybe like eight minutes or something. But first, I want to do a couple of Bastone Blurb films I've seen recently, but also films I've seen that I've been sitting on that I just want to talk about for maybe two minutes to just say, hey, should you watch or should you not watch it? There's a couple of films in particular I want to really highly suggest because I don't think they're that well-known or maybe a lot of people didn't see them, but I thought they were really, really good films and I think they're definitely worth worth a shot or worth a look. The first one is Good Time, which I hope you have a good time listening to the podcast. If you don't, reach out to me and tell me on how my but Good Time was released in 2017. It was the first, it was the directorial debut by the Safdie brothers who directed Uncut Gems two years later. 
It stars Robert Pattinson and Ben Safdie. And they're basically brothers who are on the run because they stole money from a bank. So this was kind of an underrated indie film. They didn't get any awards or anything like that. But as a 90, 92% certified fresh tomato meter and 81% audience score and the critics' consensus reads, a visual treat filled out by mm-hmm. consistently stellar work from Robert Pattinson, Good Time is a singly distinctive crime drama offering far more than the usual genre of thrills. I definitely suggest this film. I said, great performances from Robert Pattinson and Benny Safdie allow this crime thriller to resonate. Um, This film is definitely a crime thriller. No doubt about that. Again, the Safdies is how they first got their start, their big break. I will say that it's a little uncomfortable. There's some... Yeah, uncomfortable. There's there's basically a pedophile scene in the movie. For all intents and purposes. No, not basically. There is a pedophile, technically, because the person's not prepuescent. But there is a pedophile scene in the film. Though it's not graphic or anything, it's just, it's uncomfortable in hindsight. And a lot of the main characters die. I mean, but it's also important because it's about family, there's themes of family in the film. And additionally, because Benny Safdie's character, the brother of Robert Pattinson's character, has like autism. Really interesting with that, about ideas of family and... Okay, if you care for someone and you but you put them in uncomfortable positions or, or really not unsafe positions, does that make you a good good brother or does that make you a good family member? So highly would highly recommend uh, this film. I really would. I, this film was really good. The other film that I'd highly recommend is the Merowitz stories, New and Selected. Now this stars it was directed by Noah Bachman, who a lot of people know. First of all, he's married to Greta Gerwig, uh, but he also directed Marriage Story like two years ago. It stars Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, Dustin Hoffman, Emma Thompson, Elizabeth Marvel, Jude Hirsch, Adam, uh, Grace Van Patten, among other people who are in the film for short and long periods of time. 92% tomato meter and 72% audience score. The Marriage Story is new and selected, observes the family dynamic through writer-director Noah Bachman's bittersweet lens and the impressive efforts of a remarkable cast. I really agree. A great film about family, elevated by great performances. I saw this movie a while back, but it really, it reminds me of my family. It reminds me of family in general. It's really real and resonant. It was released by Netflix, which basically means that no one saw it. I mean, because half the films released by Netflix. I was looking back, like, this year alone, there's, like, eight films that, like, good reviews, got, like, good reviews from Netflix, uh, and, like, no one talked about that. Now, this had a good cast and stuff, so it's kind of, like, why well, was it under the radar? But, I, I mean, look, Netflix marketing team, I am not a fan of. They just kind of, because their goal is just, like, content, 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 that they're not going to push you unless you're going to, unless they have to, right? Unless you're, like, their golden goose, they're not going to push you and really advertise you to a a broad audience. Uh, I did think that it was really a, a family film, a, a good film for families to watch. I thought it was really resonant. Uh, I guess because you know it was, it was like you know older people having sicknesses and stuff, so it resonated with me. Additionally, uh, the daughter Grace Van Patten like does film. Now I don't do what she does. She does like some weird like sexual pathos films. I don't do any of that. But I still thought it was. It was a good film, honestly. And it also, I will say about it is, 
it balanced the like you know a lot of films and the film I'm about to talk about actually don't balance the ensemble well. This balance an ensemble. There's not really a main character. You know, the collection is the main character. And the the people learn from each other. They grow as a family. It actually is a good film. I think it's a great film for family purposes. It's a great comedy. I laughed a lot. It's hilarious. And it's hilarious. It's a grown-up comedy, right? It's not a sort of like slapstick, idiot, ha-ha comedy. It's a, it's a grown-up adult comedy. I can't recommend this film enough. I'm being honest. That film... Really, really, really good. I, I have to admit, really. People say I don't like anything. I do like that film. I liked a lot. I gotta be honest with you. Now, the last film I want to talk about with the best film blurb. I'm not gonna. There's more films I could talk about, but I'm not gonna oversaturate the market here. Is in the Heights. Now, this film came out this weekend. I saw it. I don't know. The marketing team did a good job. I guess I said oh, I'll take a flyer on it. I wasn't gonna see it in theaters because it's June and it's a musical. A lot of, un- not really unknowns, but a lot of, some unknowns, some people that are, you know, Anthony Ramos, Melissa Barea, Leslie Grace, Corey Hawkins, who you know, he was in 24 Legacy, Olga Merendiz, uh, Jimmy Smits, I think a lot of people know him, and then a bunch of others. And it's an ensemble cast. Uh, it was based off a musical written by Manuel Miranda, who did Hamilton, Guys on a High, and it's written by John M. Chet. Chu Chow, excuse me, who directed Crazy Rich Asians. It has a 96% tomato meter, a 95% audience score, lights up for In the Heights, a joyous celebration of heritage and community fueled by dazzling direction and sing-along songs. I was less nice. Charming but brought down by underdeveloped plot threads and characters. So first, the plot is jumbled. There's way too many characters to deal with. But it's it's based off a play. I haven't seen the play, obviously. But I don't know why I say obviously. I just haven't seen the play. But it's like a group. Is you know, there's a bunch of characters, and yet they try to make it about one character who's who's Navi, who's like the main character. So that was already the problem number one. It was like trying to fit a square hole into a round peg, or a round peg into a square hole, something like whatever the saying goes. That's what it was trying to do. And I just had a problem with the fact that. It was two hours and 20 minutes long, so kind of long for a musical. And there was just so much plot involved. Like, there was like 11 characters that mattered. Not even maybe 11, but like 8 characters that were important. And only like 4 of them got actually carried through arcs. And the arcs, like, weren't even like they were intersectional. They were kind of... I mean, it wasn't like they were completely non... You know, non-together, but they were not entirely cohesive. There's two love stories in the in the plot. There's a college sort of like heritage plot point. Someone dies, that's a plot point. Father son, father daughter relationship, that's a plot point. Uh, Dreamers, DACA is a plot point. That's dropped. That was actually a big problem that I had, which I'll get to in about five seconds. But overall, like the plot was kind of jumbled, and it's just like we're trying to hit so many different things that we're actually not hitting anything. The second thing was I just said was the DACA thing. I have no problem with politics. Do what you want to do. Heritage. I don't. I don't care about any of that. But it was just like they brought up this illegal immigration storyline, and like it was so lazily done. Uh, like the messaging was like so obvious. I'm like, okay, we get it. And by the way, no one watching this film is anti-immigrant. I can tell you that right now. Okay. No, I'm not even the target demographic. The target demographics Hispanic and uh, like musicals. So I don't meet any either of those requirements. But I'm telling you right now, like, your audience, I don't think anybody watching is anti-immigrant. Okay. But anyway, regardless of that, 
it was just so jumbled. And then, like, they brought in this DACA storyline and then, like, dropped it. It was like, what? And then there was, like, two love stories. But, like, one love story was clearly the main love story. But the other one was, like, a side one. And that one just kind of developed. And the main character... And then, like, Nina, who was the girl who... This girl who went to Stanford but, like, felt bad about it because she was like, I don't fit in. I'm leaving my people. She just felt good about it for, like, no reason. I mean, she, there was a reason for it, but it made no sense. Like, nothing was explained. Like, things just happened. This other girl, like, died for no... Like, out of nowhere, and it was like, yeah, she died. I'm like... I mean, they showed her dying, but I'm like, how the hell did she die? I mean, yeah, she sung us part. She had a musical. She had, like, a number. <laughs> and then she dies, and I'm like, bro, what? I guess that's a spoiler, but I didn't name the character. Anyway, like, it just makes no sense. I'm like, how did she just die? <laughs> like, what? There's also, like, a lottery ticket... Like, subplot, like, this whole thing just makes no sense. And additionally, I will say this, and this is a pet peeve of mine. I don't think I've actually ever said this on the podcast, but I'm going to say it right now. Sexualization of women pisses me off. Because is there a point to it? I have no problem if there's, like, a... Look, I have no problem with it if it's, like, for a plot point. Or, like, you have a femi fatale, or, like, that's just part of her personality, you know what I mean? Like, she's just, like, a kind of a, an aggressive woman or assertive woman. Or, like, I have no problem if it's kind of just, like, uh, some guy's, like, it just trying. That's, like, kind of the point, like, trying to be sexist in a way to try to, like, prove a point about women. I don't know. Like, there's ways to do it well. That's the worst problem I have with, like, a sex scene. You know what I mean? It's, like, why are we having a sex scene? Like, is there an actual characterization that's going into the sex scene? Or are we just, like, having it just have, like, vain, be vain? And the reason I bring this up is because it's Vanessa, Melissa Barrera. Now she's, look, I, ne- I never seen a movie in her, I never seen her in a movie before. But I mean, like every, every outfit she wore was like, you know, puckers up. I'm like, dude, like, what the, why? Like, there's no reason right now, there's no reason for this woman to be wearing a crop top. And she was just like wearing crop tops. It wasn't like they were at the beach. She was just like wearing a crop top. And I'm like, for me, right, there's like, there's no plot point, no characterization. You're just basically trying to exploit her. Now, call me a feminist for saying this. I don't really care. But for me, it's just like, why? Like, what is the point? Like, we get she's all attractive, but I I don't get this. It's exploitative. So I, I didn't love the film, though, again, I wasn't the target demographic. Like, if you love musicals, go watch it. I, I could not, I, I know, like, one line from the musical, though. It was like, in the heights, I don't know, and there's something like that. All the other ones, I don't know, I don't remember any of the musical. Uh, but this is a problem with John Chu, is the fact that he, he's very, like, he believes in a lot of excess. You know, there's, like, so much dancing, you know, there's, like, 9,000 extras, you know, when he did Crazy Rich Agents. It's just, like, too over the top. It's, like, overproduced. Like, bro, just chill. Now, this film was supposed to be released last year. It wasn't because of that coronavirus pandemic. Speaking of the coronavirus pandemic and its effect on the box office, like I promised. So, In the Heights was released in... On HBO Max and in in theaters because it's an it's a uh, Warner Brothers uh, IP. Now, the box office really kicked off three weeks ago, where Cruella, which is a Disney film uh, based off 
Yeah, the Corella, who is uh, 101 Dalmatians, that Corella. I call her Harley Quinn's cousin. She came from the corner in the back. It's Harley Quinn's cousin. Or Joker's, like, sister-in-law. I don't know. Either one works. And The Quiet Place 2, which was released by Paramount Pictures and is the sequel to the John Krasinski-directed Quiet Place, Emily Blunt's the star. That's the one you can't talk. You know, you can't talk. They, like, find the aliens, find you if you talk and you die. That one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was Labor Day weekend. Last week, right, last week, Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which is part of the Conjuring universe, uh, stars, this film stars Verma Farminga and Patrick Wilson. Though it's part of, it got like mixed reviews. Uh, but it's part of the Conjuring, multi, uh, not the multiverse, cinematic universe, excuse me. It's the third Conjuring film, but then they had the spinoff with Annabelle and the spinoff with um, The Nun. It does well for Warner Brothers. But anyway, that was also released on HBO Max and in theaters. So In the Heights was released by HBO Max and theaters. Now, just to kind of quickly go on my thoughts, because I have a lot to say about this, is the fact that so, the 28th of, all, of May, Memorial Day weekend, The Quiet Place had $47 million. That was the biggest pandemic opening ever. Now, technically, Godzilla vs. Kong, five day would have beat that, but we don't count it, whatever. C'est la vie. That had, so I said $47 million, right? Quilla got $21 million, and the total box office was $81 million in Memorial Day, right? Now, the next week, where the devil made me do it, The Conjuring came out. That was number one at twenty-four million. The Qu- A Quiet Place fell fifty-nine percent to nineteen million, and Cruella fell fifty percent to eleven million. Last week's box office was sixty-six million. Keep these numbers in mind. So the first week that I said was eighty-one million. The second week is sixty-six million. Okay. The third week now, The In the Heights came out and also did Peter Rabbit two which is stars James Corden, Elizabeth Debicki, uh, Domhnall Gleeson. Uh, it actually kind of has like a low-key big cast. And that's based off the short story. Uh, it's a big in the UK. I, I never read the short story for Peter Rabbit, or not uh, the books or whatever, but um, it's bigger in, in uh, it's kind of like Paddington in a way, because that's like big in the UK. Anyway, that came out this week as well. Well, the global bo- the weekend box office domestic was only fifty five million dollars. In the Heights got eleven. Quiet Place got eleven and is in first place. Peter Rabbit two got ten. Conjuring got ten. Cruella got six. Now, the average weekend during not before the pandemic in twenty nineteen, the average weekend was around. I didn't I didn't do the math on this, and I'm not including outliers, but roughly between a hundred million dollars. And $150 million. Now, certain weeks, if you had a big movie come out, you got the $200 million, potentially. It depended on, 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 the, on the week, right? But roughly $100 million, $150 million. Well, right now, this weekend, with two new movies that should have done relatively well, $55 million. That's worrisome for me. Now, because... At least to me, that singles that either A, the movies aren't big draws, which is probably part of it, but B, I think more, more importantly, 
is people really aren't going back to theaters. Like, A Quiet Place is a draw. It's a pretty big movie, okay. The Conjuring, relatively below expectations. Granted, though, it's in a pandemic. Warner Brothers is fine with the result. In The Heights, I'm, I think Warner Brothers is a little disappointed because people were saying it could do up towards of $25 million this weekend. Peter Rabbit didn't really have high expectations. I'm sure Sony understands that was kind of just whatever. Get it off our plate, right? Cruella, no one cares. I don't I mean, Cruella, whatever. I mean, who, I mean, seriously, who cares about Cruella? But anyway, now... The we- now the box office in 2019 was 11 billion dollars, 11.2 billion. Domestically, you gotta keep in mind domestically. Last year the box office was two billion dollars. There was a pandemic, so you only got like a quarter, really, half a quarter, you know, a quarter roughly of actual box office tickets because March pandemic hit. And this year it's at 1.8 billion. So we're gonna obviously pass last year's numbers. But what I'm worried about is what is this single for the future films coming out this year because these other movies are underperforming seemingly. A Quiet Place really didn't underperform. So outside of Quiet Place, which by the way, only released in theaters, which a lot of these other movies isn't the case, what does that mean? Now some of these films obviously, of course, are kind of just desperate plays to try to start a franchise. The Conjuring... Even though that is a franchise, but try to continue a franchise, right? Peter Rabbit 2 was never really going to do big business. But A Quiet Place, the first one, made $340 million worldwide. A Quiet Place 2 hasn't even made half that yet. Now, I understand it's still going to keep chugging around. It's still got some legs in it. But I'm starting to get worried for the box office. And I think other companies should be as well. Because while... A lot of films are coming out. They're coming out in different ways, right? Warner Brothers has made the decision. We're we're releasing all of our films. I don't know about that because we don't know about the later ones still. Are going to be releasing simultaneously on HBO Max and in theaters. That strategy has worked really well for them. They're having their kicking in it too. Paramount has just said, you know, we're going to release it all in theaters. And then 40 days later, we're going to have... It's going to be in Paramount+. Plus. Disney Plus has said either it's going to be on Disney Plus exclusively or we're going to put it on HBO, I mean on, in theaters and on Disney Plus for premium access, i.e. pay 30 bucks to see it. Uh, Sony is just, for, is just releasing it in theaters and Universal is hosh posh, releasing theaters, releasing theaters simultaneously with Peacock, it's all over the place. But as we look to these future films coming out this month and next month, we have The Hitman's Bodyguard, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which stars Tommy Hike, Samuel L. Jackson, and Ronald Reynolds. That is a sequel to The Hitman's Bodyguard. That ain't making money. Lionsgate is, it's got bad reviews, and Lionsgate is desperate. Also, Pixar's Luca is coming out on Disney+. Plus. That's for another conversation, but basically Pixar movies releasing on Disney Plus might be bad news long-term for Disney because if people can see a Disney Pixar movie on their TV, why are they going to pay $15 to go see it in a theater? Moving on. Fast and Furious 9 is coming out Friday, June 25th. That movie will bomb. Bet the under. That movie's bombing. It's bombing in China. It didn't bomb in China. I don't want to... I hate saying bombing when it made $200 million in China, but it needs more. It, it made like half of what it made... Uh, in China, usually, uh, it's going to be a problem. 
I mean, I mean that sincerely. Like, it's not. It's gonna be an issue for Fast Nine right now. They're at two sixty eight. They that budget's gonna get. Someone's gonna pay for that budget. So you're at two sixty eight. It's not like you're gonna make that much money from the United States. I think Universal's starting to bite their fingers a little bit, saying, "Are we gonna get any profitability from that?" I don't think it is. Maybe it breaks even, but that's a question mark. The week after that, we get Boss Baby, a re, uh, uh, a sequel to Boss Baby with Alec Baldwin. The Forever Purge, which is supposedly the last film in the Purge franchise. Bless up. The week after that, we get Black Widow. Oh, excuse me. Black Widow. Excuse me. Black Widow. Whoa. Black Wi- Someone said Black Widow? Uh, wake me up when my alarm goes off. The 16th, we get Escape Room. That's also a sequel. Space, Man- Space Jam, A New Legacy. That's LeBron. Okay, Lake King. Lake King James. That's a reboot or whatever. Sequel, whatever they're going to call it. July 23rd, we get Hotel Transformania. That's a sequel to Hotel Transformania. Transylvania, they're still making those movies, yes. Old is an M. Night, M. Night Charlemagne movie. Looks pretty good, I saw the trailer. Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, no comment. That is an origin story for Snake Eyes, no comment. July 30th, Jungle Cruise, uh, the the movie based off the hit ride on, in Disney. That's a Hail Mary full of grace of the Lord with the from Disney trying to make a live action franchise. Their first new live action franchise since... Pirates of the Caribbean and Natural Treasure. Good luck to Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson, July 30th. August 6th, Suicide Squad. I'm actually excited for that movie. August 13th, we get Free Guy, Ryan Reynolds. Bless up. Hopefully you do well. And then we get a couple of other kind of random weeks until we get Shang-Chi. And that's really the summer box office. And then we get the fall box office, which features Shang-Chi. Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, Dune, No Time to Die, Halloween Kills, Eternals, Ghostbusters, Top Gun, Spider-Man 3, The Kingsman, Matrix 4. So that's the, that is the future box office in the fall. But what I just told you was up until that point, up until the free guy, that's your summer box office. So you have the free guy, Suicide Squad, Jungle Cruise, Old... Snake Eyes, Hotel Transylvania, Escape Room, Space Jam, Black Widow, Boss Baby, Forever Purge, F9, Hitman's Body, God's Wife. That's 13 films. I think all of them are going to underperform. The only one I see that actually has a chance of making money, like good money, or like close to non-pandemic levels of money, is Suicide Squad, and that's because it's the last one. And it has a big cast. And it has a great director, James Gunn. That's the only one I could see making money. But the reason why I go through this summer box office is to say to people, look, we have no idea what this year has in store for us. And this is going to be a problem for Hollywood. Because if these films right now are underperforming. Now granted, not every single theater is open and I get all that. And it's still a pandemic or we're coming off a pandemic. I get all that. But if you're going to severely underperform, and then you're going to have these bigger movies, because again, the movies coming out right now are, not, are kind of low stakes, 
right? Like Cruella was not gonna make money. Like you know, I'm not. I, I don't. I know people are thinking. I'm not trying to just bash them. I'm just like that's coming up to my mind. Like a Quiet Place kind of hurts, but even like In the Heights was still kind of like a solid. Though you know, it was never gonna do anything. Right? It was gonna hit a home run. It was gonna make a billion dollars. That's my point. It was gonna make eight hundred million. It was gonna make three hundred million max. Right? That's where the question going forward is: What happens to these other films? So I hope you enjoy. I hope you enjoy my commentary. If I suck at me, if I'm not good, text me. If I don't know what I'm talking about, say that. It's all right. It's okay. Other than that, thank you for listening. Again, we're going to have a classic movie coming up in about two weeks, an interview, another classic movie episode all in the next couple months, more Bastogne blurbs, more Rotten Tomato scores, more controversy, more this, more that. Uh, I'll enjoy my day. I hope you enjoy yours. Ciao, a presto. This is Women Morning and Movies. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye now.